Okay, we're just talking about the possible remake of The Princess Bride and the reboot of Saved by the Bell, and is Hollywood run out of good, fresh ideas? Well, it turns out that they're not just recycling plots or storylines or franchises, but maybe, just maybe, Hollywood has been recycling the same music over and over again. Alex Ludwig is a musicologist. He is with the, he's an assistant professor with Berkeley College of Music and joins us to explain further here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Alex, good afternoon, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, just first of all, I, I have to ask your last name, Ludwig. With that last name, did you have any choice but to go into the study of music? <laughs> it's per- it's uh, perfectly appropriate, right? I teach a Beatles class, and every time we see Ringo's drum set, you see my name uh, right up there, perfect. Yeah, it seems like it uh, was divinity, perhaps, divine intervention. But <laughs> uh, Tell us a bit about uh, what your study has found uh, when it comes to popular music and film soundtracks. Uh, you trace them all back uh, to this uh, Gregorian chant? Yeah, so I have found that there is a particular piece of music that keeps reappearing in Hollywood film scores. And and I've traced it all the way back to the 1920s. Um, It's a piece of music called the Dies Irae, and it has appeared in, I've found, over 55 different films that quote this same exact piece of music. Okay, give us a little background on uh, this chant. Uh, How did it come to prominence, and uh, what was it about originally? Sure. So uh, originally, it appeared in the Requiem Mass, so uh, a mass for funerals. And this particular piece of liturgy, the text was uh, the Dies Irae, Dies Ila, which r- roughly translates into Day of Wrath, Day of Reckoning. So um, this really was the, uh, the biblical passage that's talking about the fire and brimstone, who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Okay, and again, how old is this chant? This goes all the way back to the 13th century. So in, in Latin services, all the way almost 600 years ago, 700 years ago. All right. We have a clip. Uh, I think we just heard a brief second of it there. Let, let's have a listen to this Gregorian chant from the 13th century. So as we uh, play it here, uh, tell us a bit about Day of Wrath. Uh, what is it you're hearing in there? What are the similarities? What should we be listening for in other more contemporary pieces of music? Well, it's really those first four notes, the D, S, E, R, A. Those first four notes are what are most frequently quoted in these film scores. And they have, because of this association with the funeral mass and this fire and brimstone, they perfectly underscore scenes that are dark or emotional or have to do with death. And we really see that in, in Hollywood and film scores in 1980 with uh, The Shining. That's sort of the most iconic use of this particular piece of chant. All right, uh, we got a few other examples here that we're, we're going to play for folks. And uh, let's start with, uh, well, a Disney favorite, uh, The Lion King. Sure. Now, where do we hear, what similarities do you hear between that and the Day of Wrath? So, again, it's those first four notes. Um, when you play them in that particular rhythm and, and, and at that sort of, that emotional scene going on, the death of Mufasa, um, 
we are connecting the sort of emotions inherent with this up with the music. Again, those first four notes. All right. Uh, Loretta, can we play the, the Lion King clip again uh, just uh, quickly, and then we'll follow that uh, with the Gregorian chant from the 13th century. So here it is, the Lion King. And here's the original. So it's got kind of the, the same notes, although uh, the, the tempo is maybe just a little different than The Lion King? Sure. I mean, the, the chant that you're playing is a, a recording that was made. It's a little quicker than um, the Hollywood film scores tend to like it, right? So uh, the slower you play it, the, the more ominous it can be. It is sort of perceived. All right. Another one that you point to is, uh, well, I think everybody's going to uh, recognize this, uh, Star Wars, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and that, uh, again, just sets a, a mood and a tone, doesn't it? Well, and, and the, the thing with Star Wars is we hear that same melody earlier on when we have the, the binary sunset, the same melody's playing, but without those four notes. And so when John Williams plays that melody again, after, spoiler alert, we see Luke and uh, Luke's aunt and uncle have just been killed by the Empire. Right. We hear the same melody, but he adds in those four notes, the DS array, to give us even more sort of sort of darkness and ominous feeling to the scene. I love the spoiler alert, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I think after 25 years, we no longer have to give a spoiler alert. <laughs> you never know, right? Yeah, well, another one uh, from Outer Space, A Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Let's have a listen to that. Yeah, uh, I yeah. can hear that again, right? Yeah, and so... You know, John Williams is probably my biggest offender on the list. Uh, he appears uh, seven times, and that's only counting Star Wars once. He uses it in Star Wars in almost every film score for Star Wars. Um, so he has a particular affinity for including this um, this musical material in his in his film scores. All right. Well, let me ask you, uh, John Williams, uh, maybe one of, if not the most prolific uh, scorers of uh, soundtracks sure. and uh, music, uh, certainly uh, right up there with the likes of Henry Mancini and uh, Bernard Herrmann, uh, to name a few. Uh, did he rip off uh, the, this chant, do you think? Because, I mean, that's always the debate, and we've seen so many lawsuits uh, as of late uh, when it comes to popular music. Uh, certainly uh, right. Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines comes to mind. Uh, immediately Marvin Gaye's estate uh, took him to a court. Uh, I mean, has he crossed a line here, Alex? No, I don't think so. I think all of the great composers and artists uh, stand on the shoulders of those who came before them. And, and I think that's what he's doing here. I think he's using this material because it has these cultural connotations. And he is doing it very much on purpose to help underscore the darkness of these scenes. So in other words, he was influenced by this is a tribute to the, the, the previous work. Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, I've never, I would love to get a chance to ask him. I, the question is, is he doing it consciously or not? Is it just, is this melody in his ear and he, and he knows that it's going to work there? Or is he deliberately pointing to this day of wrath, day of reckoning in these sequences?
Yeah, you know, that's a fascinating and a great question. And again, I'll point to Robin Thicke, who I think said in his defense at the time that maybe he was subconsciously influenced by the works of right. Marvin Gaye, that he grew up listening to that. And I think for a lot of musicians, first and foremost, before they became professionals, they were music lovers like a lot of us, right? And just took in so much stuff and so much information. And sometimes it just comes bleeding out of you as what you think is an original and creative thought, but uh, maybe in hindsight is is more of a tribute, I guess. Uh, absolutely. And, and really, we're not talking about that many notes in the musical language. And so um, there's only so many ways to recombine these things together. Yeah, well, I mean, that's always been the argument, particularly you mentioned you study uh, the Beatles and teach classes on the Beatles. Uh, when it comes right. to rock and roll, everybody uh, points back, uh, of course, to uh, John and Paul and uh, Ringo and George. But uh, there's only so many chords and only so many ways you can rearrange those notes, right? Right. I mean, even George Harrison sort of uh, later on in his career with My Sweet Lord uh, also sort of admitted to un sort of subconsciously quoting others in the in that song. So it, it happens. It's sort of hard to avoid it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Was that My Girl, I think, uh, that he was influenced was, by? Yeah, it was one of those girl groups. I, I can't recall off the top of my head. Yeah, I think, it, uh, if I remember correctly, it was that song, and he was sued and successfully uh, sued by the uh, copyright uh, holders. But, Correct. Uh, just really, really uh, interesting stuff. Uh, Alex, thank you so much uh, for the time. Really appreciate you coming on with us this afternoon. Great, thank you. All right, there goes Alex Ludwig. He's a musicologist and an assistant professor at the Berkeley College of Music.